listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Well, hey, what's up, TLR? So good to be with you guys tonight. Yes, hello, hello. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Heath. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. Uh, I lead Inside Out, which is the high school ministry here at Brownsbridge. Yep. Uh, hey, tonight we are wrapping up uh, week three of our series, The S Word. So uh, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of different things around this word that is thrown out in church a lot. It starts with an S, probably not the word you're thinking of. Uh, there's so many jokes that you can go along with that, but it's just this idea of sin. It's missing the mark, falling short, you know, not, not being perfect. And if you look around this room, there's a room full of people here tonight who are not perfect. Uh, and, and so this is a great topic for us to talk about because if nobody gets it right, then all of us are a work in progress and we need to you know, figure out how to get better at this and how to combat this idea of sin, uh, which the Bible talks so much about. So if you're here week one, uh, my friend Lauren was here and she talked about temptation and how we're tempted to fall into sin, to, to move away from God's will. Uh, last week, Chelsea uh, delivered an awesome message on repentance and what it means to, uh, when you've messed up, to turn away from that and to get back into uh, your relationship with God. And so tonight we're, we're kind of wrapping that up with uh, a talk on confession. So I don't know how you grew up or what kind of church background you have, but depending on what you know about God or what churches you've experienced in the past, this word confession can mean a lot of different things to you. For some of you, maybe you haven't grown up in church, you haven't been around church world for very long, and uh, confession to you just feels like getting something off your chest. And so I thought I would just start off tonight by just getting something out in the open, just kind of letting you guys in on my life tonight. Uh, this is something I don't know how many times I've actually said this in, in real life, and I've definitely never said it to a room full of people, uh, but I need to confess something tonight to kick things off. I think the Marvel movies are very overrated. Ah, I knew, yeah, you're gonna, it's gonna be split 50-50. I didn't say they weren't good. I mean, like what, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is about to come out. Uh, I feel like we've saved the galaxy 47 times with all kind of different manner of superheroes. I'm just like, what more could be happening? So uh, I'm just like, uh, you know, it's something that's very controversial. Some people love it. Some people, you know, are, are like me and they're just like, hey, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of the movies. I'm just ready for something new, something different. And so I, I feel like it's one of those things where uh, sometimes confession can be just something that like you've been holding in, you just need to get off your chest. Sometimes confession is something that is serious. In fact, sometimes Confession is something that's growing inside of you that is honestly like dangerous or it's something that's, that's dark or it's something that's just difficult to talk about. The reason that I think that is, is that in our lives and in the world around us, this proves to be true, is that nothing healthy grows in the dark. Nothing that is healthy in our lives, nothing that's healthy in our world grows in darkness. It's true in our lives, it's true in the world around us, that there's nothing that grows uh, healthy in a healthy way in, in darkness. Uh, it's spring outside, my allergies and the weather today should have reminded you uh, that, that spring is happening. And for the first time yesterday, literally, uh, I had to cut my grass. So that's something I'm going to be doing once a week for the next seven months. In case you're wondering how I'm going to spend approximately two days of my year this year, it's just going to be cutting grass in my yard, which you can tell I'm not thrilled about. But I am so OCD that I care deeply that it looks good. So, uh, it's like one night I go to bed and, you know, my grass is brown and dead. There's nothing happening. And the next morning I wake up and there's just a jungle of just weeds and crabgrass and dandelions and clover and all this junk that is growing in my yard. And I just was like, how did this happen? How did like I go to bed and there's nothing and I wake up the next morning and this stuff is just everywhere. 
And uh, I was a biology major in school, so I actually know how it happens, but I won't bore you with that. It's because some of you just survived bio 101 and you're done. I get that. But uh, at the same time, uh, it, it's one of those things like they're weeds, they're pests, they're, they're a nuisance. They're not what I want in my yard. Like, and in our lives, it's the same way. The things that we don't want in our lives seem to grow in darkness. So what we're talking about tonight is bringing things out of the darkness and into the light. Another example, just from my life again this week, Last week, my wife Erin and I were on vacation. We were out of town and uh, we have a one-year-old son and who is just an absolute wrecking ball and a terror sometimes. But he, uh, he left a, a thing of milk out that we did not see until we got back. And if you've ever just let milk sit out on your counter for a week, the smell would turn your stomach. And there was like stuff growing in it. I'm pretty sure I sent it off to the CDC. We'll find out what all is in there in a couple weeks. Uh, but it was just like this terrible thing. And I was just like, hey, this only happens when stuff that sat too long unaddressed is a breeding ground for unhealth. It's a breeding ground for bad things to grow. And you guys have probably experienced the same kind of things in your life. Maybe not your grass and maybe you don't have a one-year-old at home, but you've experienced the same concept. There's been things that you hold inside, things that nobody knows about you, things that you haven't gotten off your chest, things that you struggle with, things that tonight, if you were to you know, be exposed on, you'd be horrified for a room full of people to know. Things that, uh, that are true about you that maybe uh, you would be absolutely uh, afraid of anybody hearing that people would think less of you or people would judge you or people would... Um, do you differently if they just only knew? And the thing is, is as we keep that in darkness and we hide it inside, much like the mold growing in my son's milk sippy cup, uh, there, the, it just gets worse and worse the longer that you hold it inside. Because once again, nothing healthy grows in the dark. So tonight's message on confession is about taking things out of the darkness and into the light, getting things that are potentially damaging and harmful, things that, that are not good for you, things that are actually making your life worse out of darkness and into the light where God and a community full of friends and people that you trust can begin to help you grow from them, learn from those things and move on beyond them. As I was studying and kind of preparing for tonight, I, uh, I did like some research. I've already told you guys I'm a nerd, but uh, and, and the word confess uh, is, is in the Bible many, 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 many times. And uh, the, the word that the, the Bible actually uses for confess is the Bible wasn't written in English. That's probably not a, a newsflash for most of you. It was, uh, and especially in the New Testament, it was written in Greek. And the Greek word for confess, I think is so interesting. It's a word called homologia. And it literally means speaking the same way or the same word. Literally, homo means same, logos means word. Logia is a derivative of that. It literally means same word. So to confess means, hey, I'm just saying the same thing. I'm just coming into an agreement. It's your, your words, your life, your will, your actions, your thoughts coming into alignment with God's. Because we're going to talk in a few minutes, when we mess up, it's not exactly a news flash to God. We don't come to God with our confession because he's curious as to what you're, how you're doing. Like he already knows those things. And so we come to God to confess and to bring our heart, our minds, our wills, our, our actions, our thoughts into alignment with his. I was thinking about like how this plays out and, and the, the whole idea of the, we're saying the same thing in different ways. Uh, I grew up in a, a small town in Alabama. Um, and, and if you've ever been to that part of the world or, or maybe you live far enough in North Georgia that it's basically Alabama with a different zip code, uh, it, you, there's a lot of expressions and things where people are saying something that you understand and know, but they say it in a different word, in a different way, right? It's the same, same idea, maybe not the same word, but it's the same concept. 
And, uh, you know, I started thinking about some of those just because they're, they're, they're really funny, like, expressions and stuff. Uh, my grandfather used to always say, that dog will hunt. And there'd be no dogs around, right? It, his, what he was saying was, that's a great idea, Heath. You should pursue that. Like, but he said it, that dog will hunt, right? Or there's another one that's like, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Which means, if everything goes according to plan, that sounds good to me, right? Like, there's these like expressions that, 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 that are, are weird Southern slangs, things that are essentially communicating something, uh, just in a different kind of way. So when we come into uh, this idea of, conf- oh, I forgot my favorite one, bless your heart. Uh, you guys know that one. Uh, you've probably heard that one before, right? Bless your heart means I love you, but you're an idiot. That's what that one means. Uh, and so th- there's, there's, they're saying the same thing, just in a different way. When we come to God into, to confess, what we're essentially doing is we're coming to God and agreeing with him, saying the same thing, but just from a different vantage point. God's coming through it from his viewpoint from his lens of holiness, his perfection, and, and that he's incapable of making a mistake. And we're coming at it from the viewpoint of humans who are flawed and sinful and full of mistakes day after day for our entire lives. And so it's, it's us bringing ourselves into alignment with God. And for the sake of tonight, essentially what I, want, what I mean by confess is bringing to the light what grows stronger in the dark. It's taking those things that grow in darkness and dragging them into the light so that they don't have to define you, so that they don't have to be a part of your life anymore, so that you don't have to continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again, so that you can learn from them and grow from them. That's what we mean when we say confess. So if you're new to the whole church thing, if this is your first time or first time in a long time, uh, that, that when we say confess, it's, it's not like some places, some churches talk about confession. What I'm talking about is a matter of the heart of God doing something in you to help set you free from maybe something that's been holding you back for months, years, decades, maybe even for some of you. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. Here's the problem though, the, the, the trick with that is, it's way easier to hide in the dark than to live in the light. It's way easier for you to hold things, stuff them inside and just not talk about them than it is to live in the freedom of bringing them out into the light. And if you don't believe me, here's what I want you to do. If you will, turn to your neighbor and share with them your deepest, darkest secret that no one knows about you. Well, some of you actually did it. I'm shocked that people at least like leaned over. I imagined it was going to be crickets in the room. I thought no one was going to say a word and I was going to say exactly, but some of you guys really care about the person sitting next to you. It's like, you already know. (laughs) You were there with me last Friday night, right? (laughs) So it's one of those things where it's a lot easier for us to conceal, to hide, to cover up, to push down than to confess and to drag that out into the light. We all know this to be true. We all have experienced this at some point in time. I would bet every single one of you at some point in time in your middle school, high school years, you got in trouble. You did something that your parents told you not to do. They found out, they confronted you. And what did you do? lie. You told them, no, that wasn't me. That was my friend. I totally, that's, that's somebody else's beer in the fridge, mom. I don't know how that got there. You know, like you, it's our natural instinct to cover up rather than to drag into the light. But here's the problem. Here, here's, here's the issue with that. What you'll find in the dark isn't the life you want. When you hold that stuff inside and you leave it growing like mold in the darkness, what you are actually growing is loneliness because lies disconnect you from community. They break trust with people that you care about. What you're actually growing in those moments is low self-esteem 
Because what you begin to tell yourself is, I keep making this same mistake over and over and over again, and I can't seem to, to stop doing this sin. I can't seem to stop making these mistakes. I must be a failure. There must be something wrong with me. And those are like the first thoughts, the first steps towards a path where you begin to actually accept that and believe that about yourself, which can often lead to, you know, things that you have to go get help with. Like, I mean, we're talking like depression, anxiety, things that are like damaging to you. It's because you've let stuff grow in you often that it's going to lead you there. Not in all cases, but in some cases. And lastly, it leads to stuff like essentially shame, which shame is when you fully bought in and to believe the lie, not that I am a person who made a mistake, but I am a mistake as a person. And some of you in this room came in here tonight, and if you were honest with yourself, if you're honest with somebody that you were close to, if you're honest with that person that you just whispered your deepest, darkest secret to, that's how you feel. It's that my mistakes are no longer something that has happened to me or something that I've done, but they are things that define me so much so that they are who, part of who I am. And so if you walked in here tonight feeling those things, tonight's message is exactly for you. Because I believe what God's word teaches us is that you don't have to let that continue to be the case in your life. You don't have to continue to make that how you're defined. You don't have to continue to live with those things buried and concealed in darkness. What you can do is begin this practice of confession, to learn how to confess those things, to drag those things out of the darkness and into the light, right? It's the same idea with my son's moldy, nasty, rotting milk sippy cup. I didn't just leave it there and be like, oh, I guess that just lives on our shelf now. Like that just is gonna be part of our household decor. Like, no, like I took soap and water to that thing and gagged the whole way through cleaning it, right? Like you have to do the hard work to make it better and not continue to live with the things that you don't want. That's our goal for tonight. To look at what God's word says about this, the writer of Hebrews, uh, who we are actually unsure who that is, the writer of Hebrews is a mystery to even uh, theologians. There are theories and people think they know who it is, but ultimately we don't know who that is. But the writer of Hebrews, whoever this person is, is very smart. And they wrote us a letter uh, to the the church uh, who are in in Jerusalem, the Jewish church there, the Hebrews people. They wrote a letter there that uh, in Hebrews chapter four kind of shed some light on why this is so effective, why we need to come to God and confess. Because my logical brain's like, hey, if God knows everything, if he sees everything, why do I need to confess anything to him? In fact, the writer of Hebrews starts us in our passage tonight with saying exactly that. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, this is what he says. Nothing in all creation, (coughs) excuse me, is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing in creation is hidden before God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before God, who we have to ultimately give an account to our lives to. So when we talk about confession, part of me is like, why do I have to do it if God already knows everything? If God already sees all my actions, he knows my thoughts, he he understands my motives and my feelings and my actions, why do I have to say it? And maybe you felt that way too. Maybe as I'm saying all this stuff, you're like, yeah, I trust God. He's a big, smart you know, creative God. He, he spoke galaxies into existence without guardians in them. And so he, that's a callback to a previous joke that I made. Uh, so he spoke, he spoke galaxies into existence, you know, with his words, like, why do I need to tell him that I messed up? Why do I need to tell him I told a white lie? Why do I need to bring this stuff to him? The writer goes on in verse 14 to say this. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. In in the Jewish faith, the high priest was the person who went into the temple and made sacrifices for the sins of the people. They had to make an account, make a payment for everyone's sins. They would sacrifice an animal and the high priest was responsible 
for doing that. And the writer of Hebrews is like, hey, no, 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 we don't have to do that anymore because we have a great high priest. We have, we have a great uh, high priest name of Jesus who is actually God's son who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can, uh, honestly, we don't have to be defined by our mistakes. We don't have to be defined by our failures, our past failures, our future failures, our current failures. He's like, no, we have, we have Jesus that we can hold on to in the moments, even when we mess up. So that our failures, our sins, our mistakes don't have to define who we are. We hold firmly to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He unpacks that a little more in the next verse. He says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The high priest was the intermediary, intermediary between God and God's people. He would go to God on behalf of the people and make the sacrifices, and he would go to the people on behalf of God to preach, to give them the word, to, to kind of challenge them on the way they're living their lives. And, and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is like, hey, we have a high priest who gets us. Jesus being fully human understands what it's like to be human. He was tempted in every way, just like me, just like you, with one very large glaring exception. He never made a mistake. He never sinned. But at the same time, Jesus being the son of God is also fully God. And he fully understands God's side of things and God's perspective. And so he serves as the perfect mediator between God and humanity because he understands both perfectly. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that like, hey, we have it so good because we have someone to stand in the gap for us and, and go to God on our behalf because he understands what it's like to be us and he has paid the ultimate price for us. This is what he says in verse 16, the last verse here. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you walked in here tonight feeling like you were in a time of need, like you're struggling with something, you're wrestling with uh, an addiction or, or something in your life that you just can't kick, that there's something inside of you that is growing in darkness, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have the confidence to approach God's throne of grace. I think that, that language is so important because he doesn't say approach God's throne of judgment. He doesn't say come to God who is so angry and mad at you. He says to come to God, to approach God. Most people approach a king's throne with their heads bowed and on their knees. They were fearful and afraid. But he says that we have the ability to approach the throne of God's grace with confidence, to come to God and say, hey, because of Jesus, because of what he's done for me, I have the opportunity to come to you, God, and tell you how I've messed up so that my mistakes don't have to define me. And because God's throne is the throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, a throne of condemnation, what we receive from God is not a lecture on how we need to do better, but what we receive from God is forgiveness, which is one of the first steps in healing. Said better, it's confession isn't about a religious ritual, it's about a relationship. If you think about like, uh, you know, I'm a parent of a little kid and uh, maybe you're not, but maybe you understand this, this analogy is that like, you think about like little kids, a lot of times they'll get crayons or markers and they'll take it and they'll just like color all over the walls and their parents come to them and they're like, okay, who did this? It's not a mystery. <laughs> they know. Like if I came home and there was crayon all over the wall and be like, Aaron, was that you? You know, like I would know who was responsible but it's an opportunity for us to enter into a relationship, to have an open conversation so that I can teach and correct and say, hey, I really appreciate if you don't do that. I hate painting. I don't really wanna to have to fix this. You know, uh, it's an opportunity for, for, in our lives to come to God. He knows what we've done wrong. He knows how we've dropped the ball. 
but it's an opportunity for him to step into our failures, to step into the darkness of us, to step into the thing that we're carrying we feel like no one knows about, to step into our lowest moments and remind us who we are and whose we are in him. And so this is not about the, the actual, like some kind of religious ritual or some kind of formal way of doing it. It's about a relationship that God wants to have with you in your life. So what God wants for us is to confess to him. And the second thing that God wants us to confess is he wants us to actually confess to one another, which for many people is actually more terrifying than confessing to God. Because what we know about God is God is a loving father. He's full of grace, the throne of grace. He's going to forgive us. But what's sometimes more difficult is to come to our friends, to come to our peers, to come to somebody we trust and care about and confess to other folks. But I think that confession done right is both. Because while we have forgiveness from God, confessing to others often brings healing. The writer of James, who was Jesus's brother, named aptly James, says this in James 5.16, he says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not because if you come and you bring your, your, your deepest, darkest sins, your deepest, darkest secrets to your friend or to, to someone you sit in a small group with in a few minutes, it's not that they can actually heal you, but it's one of the first steps towards healing. Why do you think that is? Why do we have to come to other fallen, broken, sinful humans to confess what we've done wrong? Well, he doesn't say, so I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. I think it's because what we'll find is we're a lot more alike than we are different. Some of the most powerful words that you can say to somebody who's bearing their soul to you is, yeah, me too. <laughs> I've struggled with that. I've had those thoughts. I've been there. Empathy is a powerful motivating tool and an incredible step towards healing. So what, what James is encouraging us to is to come and confess to one another so that we can begin to see and understand that, hey, we're all broken. We're all imperfect. We're all sinful. Everybody in this room has stuff growing on the inside that we try to conceal and hide and keep in the dark. And so while he encourages us, obviously, to come to God with it for forgiveness, he also encourages us to come to one another with it for healing. The point being this, is that confessing, not concealing, brings forgiveness and healing. When you learn to confess what you've done wrong, you learn to confess the things that you're struggling with, confess the ways that you've fallen short, the ways that you've uh, missed the mark, what it begins to do is to, to fight back against that urge to hide, to cover up, to conceal, to let things grow in darkness. And what it does instead is it gives you a path to forgiveness and healing. So in my short time that I have remaining, what I wanna do is cover what does good confession look like? Obviously, there's an element of it that is between you and God, and you figure that out, what looks like best for you in prayer and journaling, whatever that is. But also, there's an element of it that comes between people. And so what I want to talk about is what does confession really look like? Because for us to trust somebody with our deepest, darkest secrets, with our greatest failures and our deepest shame, there's got to be a level of trust. The other person across from you has to be safe, and you have to know that it's not going to leave that conversation. And so for confession to be done right, I believe there's five things. So here they are. I'll hit them pretty quick. Number one, confession is specific. Talk about what you actually did. You know, don't just say, hey, yeah, sometimes I get angry. You're human. Of course you do. All of us get angry sometimes. Say, hey, I lost my mind on my roommate because they left their dishes in the sink again. That's specific, right? Like that's not sometimes I get angry. That's very much more specific. Confession is specific. Talk about specific instances where you've missed the mark. Secondly, confession recognizes the motive. You've heard the expression where there's smoke, there's fire. 
A lot of times we want to apologize for the smoke and we never address the fire. Uh, if you are dealing with things like fear and insecurity, that can lead to actions that hurt other people around you. So if you're just apologizing for the actions, but you're not doing things about the fear and insecurity, the actions are just going to keep happening over and over and over again. So begin to, in your confession, recognize what's the motive that made me act a certain way. Third is this, confession is sorrowful. If you've ever been on the receiving end of an apology somebody didn't mean, you know exactly how important this one is. It's like, hey, you hurt my feelings. I wish you wouldn't have said that. It's, oh yeah, I'm sorry, whatever. Like, no, that didn't do anything, right? Like that was, you actually made it worse by saying it that way. True confession is real. You mean it. You're being honest. It's, hey, I see that I hurt you and I need to come to you and lock eyes with you and say, I did not mean to do that. I'm very sorry. That comes across very different. It's like, yeah, well, it was an accident, sorry. Like that's flippant and you act like you don't actually care. So true confession is truly sorrowful. Number four, confession is accompanied by repentance. Last week, Chelsea talked about repentance and it's a, an action of turning away from uh, what you're doing and going in the opposite direction. And I believe that confession and repentance are two sides of the same coin. It's really hard to repent if you don't acknowledge the fact that you're going down the wrong path. And it's really hard to uh, confess if, you don't, if all you do is like, hey, I messed up here we go again, going to do it again, right? Like you're not really doing anything good. The whole point of confessing is to turn the other way and not do that anymore. So confession and repentance should go together. Lastly, confession reminds us of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, he paid the ultimate price that all of our sins are forgiven. That there's no reason that we have to carry around sin and shame. There's no reason we have to let things grow in the darkness on the inside of us anymore because ultimately we've been set free from those things because of what Jesus did. I read a story about a dad who, when his, a girl was talking about, a girl, she was a grown woman. She had an Instagram account. So uh, she, she put it on, on Instagram and said this thing of like, hey, when I was a kid, my dad had a drawer in our house that had a note inside of it. And this note said, hey, anytime that you need to talk to me about something and you're afraid that I'm gonna get mad or upset, bring me this note and I promise we'll work through it together and I'll figure out how to support you best. And it was a reminder to her that it was more important that they figured out and they were able to, that she could come to him with anything than it was whatever she had done wrong. And I think the cross is a beautiful example of that, that, that Jesus basically says, hey, look, I gave my life for your mistakes. The least that we can do is talk about it. The least that we can do is, is, is to begin to work on it. And I wanna remind you that I'm for you. And I wanna remind you that this conversation is so that you can be set free from that. You don't have to carry that with you around every day. You don't have to walk around and feeling like your failures define you anymore. So true confession reminds us of the cross because the cross reminds us that you've already been forgiven because Jesus has already paid for those mistakes. Lastly, uh, I, I kind of want to leave you with this. Uh, when he talks about confession, um, in church, forgiveness, healing, these kind of words that we talk about a lot are really important. What I've learned in my life is it's easy to stand up and talk about forgiveness. It's easy to give someone forgiveness or at least say you do. It's, it's really easy to, uh, talk, to talk a big game when it comes to confessing and forgiving and all these things that we're talking about in, in view of sin. One of the actually most difficult things about it is to live in the reality of it. And what I mean by that is if you truly begin to take the stuff that you, that you bury inside, the stuff, the stuff that's, that's deep down, the, the darkness that no one else knows about or sees, and you pull it into the light, what you'll begin to feel is this weight that is lifted, this joy, this freedom in your life. There's a pastor out in California, his name is John Ortberg. He says it like this. Many of us struggle not so much with understanding the message of forgiveness, 
but living in the reality of it. If I had to guess, the fact that you're here on a Wednesday night, you're at least somewhat familiar with who God is. You're at least somewhat familiar that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You're at least somewhat familiar that he rose from the dead, and that's why we do all of this. But most of us, even though we might understand it, struggle to live it out day to day. We struggle to live in the reality of what Jesus did for us. And I think often it's because we struggle to accept the fact that forgiveness is something that you can actually experience. That God truly wants to set you free from the mistakes you've made and truly wants to take those dark thoughts that nobody else knows about, that you don't let anybody else in on. And God truly wants to remove those from your life so that you live a more full life and a more free life in him. So my challenge to you tonight, TLR, is in just a few minutes, uh, we're gonna pray and I think we have a couple announcements for you to dismiss, but you guys are gonna go to group. If you don't have a group, we'd love for you to join us in our pop-up group. Um, and what I wanna challenge you to do is if you're in a group tonight, I want you to think about, hey, what's the thing in my life that I don't talk about? What's the thing that I struggle with that I've never shared in our small group? What is the thing that I'm carrying into this room tonight that I don't tell anybody about? And what I wanna challenge you with is I want you to pray about sharing that in groups so that you can take that out of the darkness and into the light so that you don't have to conceal it anymore, but you can be forgiven and healed from it. And it's gonna take a lot of trust. And if someone does that in your small group, they better never leave that small group room or else nobody else is ever gonna do it again. But if every single one of us truly wants to experience the forgiveness and healing that God offers us, we have to begin by sharing what's actually going on inside of us.